0: If you have children, here's one thing you can count on. They will break your stuff. You have to completely redefine your relationship with stuff when you have kids, because man, they, like, they're just gonna break it. If you love that vase, that vase is gone, guys. You like those walls? They're gonna throw Lego at them eventually, and they're all gonna be messed up. You like that new carpet? They're gonna stain it in some way, and stuff's gonna be all over the place. This isn't to say that I'm like anti-kid. I have three of them, I'm a big fan, and I wouldn't trade them for all the stuff in the world, I just want to keep it real here. They mess up your stuff. What's worse is when your kid, your kids mess up someone else's stuff. This happened to us uh, years ago. It was about 14 years ago. My wife and I, we went out on a date, and our oldest son, uh, Colin, who was just playing keyboard right there, so this is the little st- when he was, you know, this big, so he's like 18 months old or something, and we went over to some friend's house, and these, these friends of ours were empty nesters, and they were just really cool, and they're like, let us watch Colin, we'll, we'll, we'll take, we'll watch him, uh, you guys go out on a date, and we're like, this is awesome, like, free childcare, they're gonna watch our kids, so we go over their house, and we bring Colin in, and he's, you know, all excited and whatever, and so um, Colin, as we're sitting there talking with this couple, Colin wanders up their stairs, and, you know, being... First-time parents or whatever were a little nervous. We're like, uh, is, 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 is he okay up there? You know? And they said, oh, there's nothing he can get into up there. Don't worry about it. Which I think maybe Colin heard and took as a challenge. <laughs> because uh, we walked upstairs, and when they said there's nothing he can get into, apparently they had forgotten that they have an entire carpeted room full of art supplies and so we walk up, and we walk into this room, and there's Colin standing on a chair at a pub table, holding a bottle of green paint, which he has sprayed all down the wall, off the table, and onto the, all over the carpet. And we're like, oh no. Like We walk up there like freaking out. So like, what would you do in that situation? Abby and I were like, all right, see you. We're going to go on a date. Bye. <laughs> so we left, and they're like, well, we'll take care of it or whatever. And we did. We left, and we went on our date feeling terrible, and most of our date was wandering around Target buying cleaning supplies so we could help them get the mess off of their carpet because, you know, we are like, that's just the reality. Sorry, our kid, our kid made a mess, and we feel bad about it. Um, and, I, and I tell you that story because I want to talk about the messes that we make and how they are fixed because there are some messes that we make and some things that we get into that there's not enough cleaner in the world to clean up that mess, and, and we sort of... Um, get into all these problems and and what happens when we sort of spray the green paint all over things and it's like very difficult to clean up. Here's what I believe about God. God specializes in cleaning up messes. And so if we wander down a road that's far away from God and God gives us the freedom to wander, so if we wander down a road, God specializes in making those crooked paths straight. He can he can clean that up. He can clean up those messes that that we have made, um, or that have made been made to us. Um, we're in this series. Then uh, we're wrapping it up today, and we've been talking about being made in the image of God. What does it mean that God's fingerprint, His divine spark, His stamp, His breath, His spirit lives inside of us? What does that mean about us, who we are, that we are made in His image? What, what is that about? We talked about that the last couple of weeks. And last week, we talked about how that image can be battered or, or, or tattered or bruised, and what are the lies that we believe that, that damage that image in us. And then today, I want to talk about the idea of how can we be restored? Okay, there's been a mess has been made of the image of God inside of us. How is that restored again? Now, when I say restored, I want to I lay some things out for you here right up front. I don't believe theologically in the idea of original sin, at least not the way it is framed in sort of the Catholic church uh, that goes all the way back to like Augustine. I don't believe that at birth you were a sinful little... You know, infant or whatever. Um, I think we all sin; all sin fall short of the glory of God. I think you all sin because we all drink from a poisoned well of of, our, of in the culture. So I believe we all will sin, but I, I don't think at birth you're this terrible, like sinful uh, little person. So when I say the image of God is restored in us, I'm saying we're bringing it back to something almost like the factory reset. Um, I know some people believe in original sin. I think if you read Romans 5, we don't have time to go into that today, but I think if you read through that thing, you'll um, you'll see how Christ has undone whatever curse of sin there was that comes to us from Adam. So we... We, we res- our, the image of God in us can be restored, like when you take an old car that's rusted out and it's chipped and, and broken and stuff's falling apart and you restore the car, what are you doing? You're taking that car and you're making it back into the original beautiful thing that it was when it came out of the factory. And I think God can restore the image of, of God in, inside of us. So I want to talk about that today, how, how that can be done and how we can actually be free. Um, C.S. Lewis talked about um, the evil that is in us and how, how that is undone. Listen to what he said. I do not think that all who choose wrong roads perish, but their rescue consists of being put back on the right road. A sum can be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point, never by simply going on. Evil can be undone, but it cannot develop into good. Time does not heal it. The spell must be unwound bit by bit. So I want to talk about a little bit here this morning, how do we unwind the spell? How do we get back to the image of God that is in us? And, 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 and how does God re- restore us in this process? Um, and I want to start with Romans 1, and I want to tell you right up front, Romans 1 is some dark stuff. Uh, when, when you get up and you read scriptures about the love of God, people love that stuff. Like, yeah, the love of God, this is awesome. God loves me. This is all great. Romans 1 is about the wrath of God. A little less fun than the love of God. Uh, people are like, go back to the love stuff. But I, I think if we are going to live in reality, and, I, and if our faith is going to be based on truth, then we need to understand that, yes, the love of God, that is a real thing, and it's a powerful force in, in the universe. We also need to understand the wrath of God and why it's there. Paul's going to unpack that for us in Romans and spend 16 chapters walking through our brokenness and how God restores it. Um, but starting in Romans 1, I want to I go there and let's, let's look at it. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men... Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul lays out the case for us right up front that we are a mess, and he uses the terms ungodliness and unrighteousness. But I think if we're going to make that very practical and very today, we're broken, guys. The whole thing is broken. We gossip, we cheat, we lie, we steal, we oppress people, we go to war, we hurt other people, right? Of of all the things I could talk about up here, that feels like the one I don't need to convince you about. If you just pick up the newspaper or you scroll through your feed, you're going to see how broken we are. I think we all get that. Every religion or worldview in the world goes, yeah, something's not quite right here. There's a brokenness to the whole system, and God looks down at that, and he has wrath against that. He doesn't like it. And, and we get uncomfortable with that. Oh, the wrath of God, that sounds terrible or whatever. But look, here's the reality. Do you like the brokenness of the world? No, you don't. Do you like it when people cheat and steal and lie and kill? No, you don't. As a parent, do you like it when your kid does those things, when your kids cheat and steal and whatever? No, you don't. Our heavenly Father, God, also feels that way. And if he didn't feel that way, he'd be something less than God. Of course, he's got anger. Of course, he has wrath towards all the ways that we screw this up. Of course, that's the case. That doesn't mean he's not loving, but it's it's real. So God uh, has anger towards that. And then then it says um, that he uh, that the invisible qualities of God, his divine power, and, and and all that. This has been revealed to people. The theological term that 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 theologians use here is general revelation. In other words, the universe displays the glory of God. Everything in, in the world and the universe points us to God. That means even if you don't know the Bible, if you've never met Jesus, if you're living in the outer reaches of the Congo, you look up in the sky and you see those stars. And when you see those stars, you see the vastness of the universe, a, a galaxy, stars that are trillions of years, uh, light years apart. I mean, the incredible universe that we live in, and then this incredible planet that we're on. When you see that glorious sunset, when you stand at the base of the mountains and you look at it, when you, when you stand at the edge of the ocean, you see that when you hear a beautiful piece of music and how that affects your heart, when you see the love of a mother for a child, all of these things are pointing you to the divine. They're pointing you to God. And he said, so we're without excuse. We all know it's there. We all know there's something greater going on in this this universe. God's fingerprints are all over it and it's supposed to overwhelm us. But what happens? Continuing on, verse 21. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Look, we all knew God. We all know something's up in this world. Even if you're today, if you're like, I'm an atheist or an agnostic or something like that. My guess is you still think, "Oh, something's weird's going on. Like, there's, maybe there's something out there. Um, I, there's, there's, it's a famous quote, like, uh, I don't believe in God, but I miss Him. I think all of us are, in a sense, haunted by God. Whether we believe in Him actively or not, we all have a sense that there's something going on here. There's something bigger than us. I remember writer Anne Lamott, She tells of her story of being converted to Christ, and she comes from a very, like, agnostic sort of background. And she said to her, Jesus was like a stray cat that was out in the alley. And it was just, like, always there kind of hanging around. Like, every time she looked out her window, she would see this cat. And so her coming to Jesus moment was her basically flinging the door open and being like, fine, you can come in. That was her beautiful conversion story. And I think that there's something going on there. All of us are, are a bit haunted by this idea that, that God is, is there. And, and even though we um, and, and in a lot of cases we don't acknowledge Him, Paul says we don't acknowledge Him, we end up worshiping something else. We don't acknowledge God as creator. We end up worshiping the creation. In Paul's day, people would literally worship little statues. Those statues are scattered throughout the, the Greco-Roman world today. But in the ancient world you worship a statue, some sort of idol or whatever. We don't Necessarily, in our culture, worship statues. We worship uh, our car or our, our our stuff. We worship our children. We worship a, a relationship. We 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 worship money. We worship a lot of other things that that get in the way. We we worship the created stuff rather than the creator. And where does that end? Verse twenty four. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Our God becomes our stomachs. We worship our own desires, our lusts. We chase after and try to get stuff to feed ourselves, whether it's food or sex or all sorts of things. We we pursue after these things, and we give in, and, and this is what happens when the image of God is shattered in us. We start believing the lies. It said they exchange the truth about God for a lie. We start believing those lies, um, and, and a lot of those lies come from other people. A lot of them come from Satan, lies like you're not good enough, you're not, you're not worthy. God doesn't really believe that about you. Some of the stuff that we talked about last week, and every time we have injustices, I know there are real injustices in the world, but every time we perceive injustice, at the end of the day, we are starting to believe the idea that God does not have my best interests in mind, that God doesn't really care. And a lot of our, a lot of our sin comes from us starting from a place of, does God really care? Does God really have my best interests in mind? Is God really good? Because if God was really good, he would let me do this if God really loved me, he wouldn't try to ruin my freedom over here in this area. If God really loved me, he would allow me to go do that. And the lies start when we go, I'm not sure God really loves me. Uh, Maybe he's messing with me. Uh, I I don't know that God's fair. I I think God's actually trying to ruin my fun. Uh, And we feel like in a hard moment, or in a moment where our freedom feels constricted, we feel like God is not trustworthy. And I want to tell you something, and we talk about this maybe from time to time, but this is an important idea. Our feelings are not always to be trusted. Feelings are important. God gave them to us for a reason. We are emotional creatures who think. And so our our, our thoughts and feelings, kind of there's a lot of interplay there. But feelings alone cannot be trusted. We should listen to them, but not fully give in to them. Here's the truth. God is good. And when that doesn't feel true to you, you need to check yourself. Truth, God is good. I'm not feeling it right now. There's a misalignment there. You can either believe that God's not good, or you could actually start to doubt your feelings, right? John Piper says it this way. He says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. My feelings, listen to this, are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my feelings. But rather, I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. We don't bend the truth in order to justify our feelings. What we should actually do is challenge the feelings and say, what do I actually know is true? And let the feelings follow after that. So how do we connect with the truth of God and undo the lies that we have learned about ourselves and in doing so, restore the image of God in us? Uh, Three ideas that I want to give you. Number one, exchange the lies of Satan for the truth of God. Exchange the lies of Satan for the truth of God. I know of no better way for us to do this than to actually learn the truth of God and memorize it. I don't mean just read it once. I mean lodge it into your memory because how long does it take before you believe lies? Like you could wake up in the morning like so solid with you and God and you're praying and you're reading. You're like, I'm in. And then like by lunchtime, you're believing all sorts of stuff, right? It doesn't take long. But what if we were to memorize the truth of God and have it locked in? When you came in, you should have received this card. Go ahead and pull this out. It's a black and white card that came with, with, your, with your tri Five card. This is a card of truth. Um, this is a card about identity. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. These are all um, things about you that God says about you if you were a follower of him This is what he says about you. You're deeply significant. You are totally secure. You're completely accepted. Um, And I would challenge you, we printed it on cardstock because I didn't want you to just like roll it up into a ball and throw it away. I would challenge you, put this on your fridge, put this next to your bed and read it each morning, put this in your car, Uh, put this up in your office at work. Um, Don't just read it once, but actually memorize it. Here's the thing. Some of you are in small groups right now. What if your small group committed that between now and the end of the group in May, you would memorize this card? That you would go, people come and say, look, all right, I got it this week. I am the salt of the earth and light of the world. I'm the branch of the true vine. Like you'd go through and say, I can memorize these things because uh, what would that do to the culture here? What would that do to your identity what would that do to how you respond to the lies that are being told to you and are being spoken all around you memorize the truth of god to sort of dislodge the lies of satan that come along that's number one number two walk in the freedom that we have in christ when you are baptized into christ you give your life to him you are immersed in water uh, your sins are washed away you are forgiven you are made right before God positionally, you are now made right, you are righteous is, is, is to use the bible language for it. You are righteous, um, and you are set free from the penalty of your sin of 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 hell and all of that like eternally you are you are set free in in a, in a good good space, but for a lot of people, we are set free, but we don 't act like it we don 't walk like we are free we don 't walk in In freedom. Imagine it this way: Imagine you've been in prison for ten years, and at the end of ten years, because you're so great, you you go up for parole, and they're like, "You've been a model prisoner. You're great. We're going to let you out." And at that moment, the judge says, "You're you are free. You, You can you can get out on parole. You're you're set free." And so, what they do is they bring you from the courthouse back to the jail, and they take you down out of your cell, and you grab your stuff, and they take you to, to the check-in sort of processing. They give you back all the stuff that you had that they took from you when you got in there. They hand you back, you know, a bag full of your stuff, and then they walk you, they escort you to the front door to, to the gate, and they open up the gate. Now, what if in that moment you were like, nah, man, the lunch here is so good. I'm going to go back and get lunch, and then me and the guys have a softball game this afternoon, we're going to go play. And, uh, and then we're going to work out, and I've really gotten into a good routine here. And the door's open, but you never walked out. Wouldn't that be crazy? And here's the question. Are you really free? Like, when is the moment you are free? When the judge says you're free? Yeah, positionally, technically, you are free in that moment. But you're not going to be free unless you actually walk through the gate. And I think that happens to a lot of us in Christ. Positionally, you have been made free. That, that God has washed your sins away. You are right with Him. But we don't walk out the gate. We go, and I think I'm just going to wander over here. And we get trapped and, and sort of caught in all sorts of things. And I know that um, addiction can put its hooks in us. And I know people that have been baptized and immediately walked away from all sorts of sin. And I know for other people that they're baptized and it took a while. It took a while to get that off of them. It took a while to get free. But you have to want it and you have to walk after it. You have to go, how do I get out of this prison? It's not enough that the door is open. I need someone to guide me out. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is the one that guides you out. He enables you to walk in freedom. Romans 8 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now that's the part, that's the verse that we put on coffee mugs. That's the nice part. Then look what it says. For those whom he foreknew, God saw this ahead of time, he also predestined for what? He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan, his design in restoring the image of God in you is not for you to become more like you, but it's for you to become more like his son, his son who is sinless, who's, who actually walked through earth and did this thing right. You're supposed to be conformed to him to become like his image. And as you do that, the image inside you, the image of God, gets restored. The closer you walk with him, the more free you will be. He will lead you out into freedom. So number one, exchange the lies of Satan for the truth of God. Number two, walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. And then finally this, and this is going to sound contradictory, number three, you have to lay down some freedoms. You have to lay down some freedoms. Um, I, I want to explain this because it does seem contradictory. You just said go walk free, and now you're saying lay down some freedoms. Um, and here's what I mean: freedom in Christ is not the same as American freedom. Um, American freedom, we love we love the concept of freedom, right? Like I start talking about freedom, and like the like stars and stripes start coming up out of our bodies. We're like, oh, yeah, freedom! You know, you got like I don't know William Wallace or something, and we're not, not American, but I think you really, really any Mel Gibson movie of Patriot or something, we're like, yes, freedom, this is awesome, I love it, but that's not, it's not, it's not exactly it. Um, the kind of freedom we think of in America when we think of freedom, we think freedom means I can do whatever I want whenever I want. That sounds good. I can do whatever I want whenever I want. This is awesome. And in America, we love that kind of stuff. I'm free to choose everything. I can choose my job. I, you know, What do you want to be when you grow up? All these options. I can choose my job, my, my friends. I can uh, choose what family I want to associate with. I can choose all kinds of food. I can choose my gender. I can choose everything that I want in America. We have all sorts of freedom. But there's some problems there. Uh, Paul says it this way in Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You have been made free. And you can walk in freedom, but don't go too far because what happens is you end up being enslaved again. You're going to be enslaved something. Your freedom to do whatever you want leads to addiction, to a new form of slavery as we get hooked into something else. Uh, and Paul says, don't go that route. I heard this on a podcast and this made a ton of sense to me. It kind of explained it this way. For humans to flourish, we need three things. And let's, let's look at them like they're buckets full of water. You need three buckets that are filled up. One is freedom, one is community, and one is meaning. You have to have a, a balance of all of those things. You need enough freedom, and there are countries in the world that don't have freedom. Right? They're like the North Koreas of the world, where people are oppressed. That's not good. That bucket is too low. They 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 did not have enough freedom. But for us to really flourish, in addition to freedom, we need to do. We need to have purpose. We need to have meaning. We, this needs to be about something. We can't just be existing because we will feel it. And in addition to that, we need to have community. We weren't designed to be solo sapiens. We're designed to be in a a group, to belong somewhere. And so all of these things are necessary for human flourishing. And what we have in America, and, and really in a lot of the Western world, is something that looks more like this. We have an overflowing bucket of freedom. All the freedom to be and do whatever you want, and we have a very empty bucket of meaning and a very empty bucket of community. This is why loneliness is an epidemic. In the United Kingdom, they hired a minister of loneliness because it's so epidemic in in the culture, and it is here too. We have lack of community and a lack of meaning and purpose because we have so much freedom. Here's why. In order to get that kind of freedom, in order to have that overflowing, we have to tear down everything that brings meaning. We have to tear down Religion, like think of all the the systems that people are tearing down right now, and I'm not even saying some of them don't deserve to be t- torn down. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna smash the whatever the patriarchy, the the uh, religion, religious beliefs, clubs, organizations, stick it to the man, uh, big business, government. You know, all of these things, things that we belong to that brought any sense of purpose or meaning or alignment in our lives, we have torn all of those things down in the name of freedom and said these are all oppressive. Now some of them are and need to be smashed. I'm not arguing that. But particularly with our faith, we tear down our faith because it feels like a restriction on freedom. Oh man, I got to follow the Ten Commandments. Oh, I got to love people. Oh, I got to do this. I got to go to church. I got to whatever. We tear all that stuff down. And guess what happens when we do that? There's nothing meaningful anymore. In 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 our desire to be so free, to do whatever we want, whenever we want, we can't find anything worth doing anymore because all the things that mattered, we tore them down. This is where we're at as a culture right now. And it's not just, uh, it's not just the meaning that's that suffering. Community is the same way. If you are going to be part of a community, you have to give up freedom. That means, think about it a very simple way. If you're going to be in a small group at Area 10 and you meet together on a Thursday night, you don't have the freedom to do whatever you want to do on Thursday night. You've got to be with that group of people if it's going to really matter, if it's going to really work, if you're going to really grow from it. You don't get the freedom to binge watch Netflix that night. You don't. You can't just drink or whatever. Like you, all the things that you, you don't get to do those that night. It is a restriction on your freedom. Community is a restriction on your freedom. I have three children and a wife. They are a big restriction on my freedom. It's not bad. I'm just telling you, it's what it is. I got to be, I got to be in Texas this week for a day by myself. I was at a conference. I got to be there for a day by myself. All sorts of freedom. I didn't have to ask anybody about where I wanted to go eat. I was like, I'm just going to go here. and Mexican food again. Here we go. You know, I'm like doing like, uh, all that I wanted. Um, but if I had people with me, if I was in community, it would restrict my freedom. I can't do whatever I, what I want, whatever I want. Now, any of you that have made that exchange and said, I'm going to be married or children or, or whatever, or dating or in a, in, a, in a small group or whatever, I think you would say it's worth it. It's worth it to restrict my sense of uh, freedom in order for community. But that's what has to happen. This is the way forward. This is why I say you're going to have to lay down some freedoms. If you're going to follow Christ, he's going to ask you to give some things up. Let's be honest about it. He's going to ask you to give some things up. If you're going to be in a community where we're studying the word together and growing in our faith and God's spirit is at work in us and through us and we're becoming disciples, you're going to have to lay some things down. You're going to have to submit to his authority, which is going to be uncomfortable at times, and you're going to have to give some things up that you don't want to give up. You're going to have to lay down your freedom to do whatever you want whenever you want. That's reality. And I'm telling you, that's how we will actually flourish So Christ has set us free, positionally, before God. But we have to walk out in that freedom. But we can't go so far in that that we become slaves again. Galatians 5 is what he's talking about, that we don't get enslaved again to other things because we're like, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. That ends badly. It has in my life at times. I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about because it probably has in your life too. If we are going to restore the image of God within us. We're going to have to lean into meaning, lean into a community, uh, the authority of Christ, and we're going to have to lean into the the body and the the family um, because that will help us believe the the truth of God rather than the lies of Satan. When my kids were little, we read this book to them. I don't know if you've ever seen the book, uh, You Are Special by Max Lucado, but it really has a great point And I'm not going to read the whole book to you, but um, if you want to come over one night at bedtime, I might read it to you. Uh, We can follow along with the pictures, and we can point at them and and talk about what they mean. But um, the book is about a a little fictitious group of people. Uh, They're not people. They're little little wooden people known as the Wemmicks. And and I want you to hear um, how, how the story goes, and I'll show you a couple pictures from the book the story starts this way. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. Each of the wooden people was carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Every Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick's Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people could be seen sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented one got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing very pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good that they did something else and got another star. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. As you continue to read the story, you learn that one Wemmick in particular is named Punchinello. And Punchinello got lots of dots, and he felt terrible until he met a girl named Lucia. Lucia wasn't like any of the other Wemmicks. She had no stars or dots on her. And Punchinello says to her, like, hey, that's how I want to be. And he asks her, how do you get to be where you have no stars or dots on you? And, she's, and she says, it's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the, wood co- the wood carver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And so Punchinello goes up the hill to the workshop to see his creator, Eli. And when he's there, he discovers that Eli thinks Punchinello is pretty great. And to close out the book, Eli and and Punchinello have this little conversation. I want to read it to you. I wish I had a good, like, Morgan Freeman voice for Eli. I don't. I'll do my best. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. "I I came because I saw someone who had no marks. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and sat him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. The way our image is restored is if we regularly spend time with our Creator and allow Him to remind us of who we truly are. When we say, His voice is the voice that matters in my life and not all of these other voices, um, what He says about me is of utmost importance. When we believe that, that's when things start to change because all of us have accumulated the dots of of a tarnished image the way, out, the, way, the way out of that is to believe the truth of God, to walk in freedom. Um, my prayer is, as we wrap this up, my prayer is that we would walk securely and follow after Jesus and know that we are who he says we are uh, and, and not believe all the lies that are around us. My prayer is that we would know who we are and we would know whose we are. Let's pray. God, I thank you for making a way to secure our freedom, that we do not need to be enslaved to fear, to lies of Satan, but that we can believe your truth and we can let it change us. God, I pray uh, for everyone in this room right now that's believing a lie. I pray that uh, this morning that it, began a process where it felt like the dots are starting to fall off. God, I pray for everyone in this room who has not given their lives to you and been baptized into you. I pray they make that step and say, uh, man, I want to get baptized. I want to I get going and, and do this and, and walk, walk in freedom. Give them the courage to do that today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.